0: we need to talk about chocolate. Specifically, eating chocolate. Dark, delicious chocolate. There are millions of chocolate obsessives around the globe. Humans consume seven billion kilograms of the stuff every year. For many people, eating chocolate is a sensory overload akin to a religious experience. What's actually in it? Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Nerds of Business podcast. My name is Darren Moffat. I'm a director of WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency, and I'm your host. If, like me, you're a chocoholic too, chances are you've only really got a vague idea of everything required to produce your favorite confectionery bar. Sure, you might know about the cocoa, but can you really name the full list of ingredients? Neither could I. So I turned to the NerdBot for help. Cocoa solids. Cocoa butters. Sugar. Milk. Vanilla flavoring. Emulsifiers. Vegetable fats. So you can see that the first thing any chocolate manufacturer needs is a supply chain of these inputs, not to mention suppliers for wrapping, boxing, dispatch, shipping, and cold storage that's essential to get the product from factory to shop. But what happens when this complex supply chain breaks down? How would the chocoholics of the world cope? Well, we don't have to wonder. It's already happened, as we're about to hear in our opening story. The year is 1996, The famous confectionery brand, Hershey's, decide it's time to upgrade their IT systems. After a tender process, they select three technology vendors to cover different parts of the business. SAP for their ERP software, Manugistics supply chain management software, and Siebel for their customer relationship management or CRM platform. Their initial implementation timeline is 48 months which makes them due to go live in the beginning of 2001. However, because of concerns over the Y2K bug, they shortened the time frame and launched instead in July of 1999. To meet the earlier deadline, the company is forced to cut the number of cycles in the testing phase. Skipping these crucial steps results in the transition team overlooking key errors in the configuration of the new IT systems, Unfortunately for Hershey's, the peak trading season of Halloween is just around the corner. By September 1999, the Hershey Foods' former CEO and chairman, Kenneth L. Wolfe, is on a conference call with Wall Street analysts. During the call, he reveals that the company is having major problems with its new order-taking and distribution computer system, for which it's paid the three software providers – combined 112 million dollars. He doesn't reveal the full details but he does admit the issues are so serious they will stop Hershey from delivering 100 million dollars worth of kisses and jolly ranches for Halloween that year. The Hershey share price drops eight percent on the news and millions of Americans are forced to endure a Halloween without their favorite chocolate. At the time of that story, Hershey's was a Fortune 500 company, so it shows that no matter how big the brand or how good the product, no one is immune from the dangers of a collapsed supply chain. Although Hershey's is very much a product-based enterprise, the same principle applies for service businesses too. In the field of professional services, for instance, your supply chain is dependent on your ability to recruit and retain quality people. If you can't secure the right employees and contractors to fulfill the services you supply, then pretty quickly you'll lose clients and revenue and maybe even go broke. Although they're rarely seen by the end customer, every business has a supply chain of sorts. They're like the hidden subterranean energy system that powers the city above. If your business has developed a great product offer, what can you do to build out or improve a stable, and scalable supply chain that will power your brand to massive growth.
1: Three, two,
2: one, go. I love data. I love kind of looking at data. You need to have systems, you need to have structure. You're going to get chopped to pieces. Enthusiasm is unstoppable.
3: We kind of hit a point where we were like, we need another lever. Surround
0: yourself with people who are smarter than you and richer than you. This is Nerds of Business. We'll start the show in a minute, but first, a word from our sponsor.
2: Hi, everyone. It's Ben Carew here. I'm a director at WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency. I work alongside the host of this podcast, Darren Moffat. If you're a business owner who wants to grow, but you don't have the spare funds to invest in marketing right now you're not alone. Since COVID hit, we've noticed more clients suspending campaigns or delaying their marketing altogether due to cash flow issues. In response to this, we developed a solution called Buy Now, Pay Later Digital Marketing. It provides eligible small businesses with nothing to pay on SEO, digital marketing and website development for up to three months. We think it's perfect for entrepreneurs who need a helping hand getting sales flowing again. I'll be back later in the show to explain how it works, but if you can't wait, you can download a free info pack now at webbuzz.com.au slash BNPL. That stands for Buy Now, Pay Later. That's webbuzz.com.au slash BNPL.
0: So the title of today's episode and the problem we're trying to solve is Sourcing and Manufacturing. How to build out a product supply chain for your new startup? It's a really important question and we've got some great entrepreneur guests on the show today to help get you some answers. You'll hear from the CEO of a hospitality group with eight venues across Australia, an electronics hardware manufacturer who built a supply chain in China for her startup, and the founder of one of the fastest growing health companies in Australia. And our two product design experts will also provide some invaluable technical perspective as well. But first, here's just a quick request. A lot of work goes into producing this show, so we really love to get reviews from our listeners. If you're enjoying Nerds of Business, please take one minute now just to leave a quick review. It helps us climb up the ranks on the podcast charts and makes us more visible to other people just like you. Thanks in advance for your support. Although product designers themselves rarely get directly involved in the manufacturing process, they can still offer a highly valuable perspective on the sourcing and supply chains that bring their vision to life. Carrie Peters is product design principal at Sydney agency Us2. Carrie is one of our two product design nerds for this series. Originally from Oregon via New York, where she designed for the likes of Nike and ClassPass, she's now a leading exponent of human centred design, have a listen to the insights that Carrie's gained from years of experience. From a product development uh, design perspective, you know what tips do you have for constructing a supply chain? Now I know that you mm. work, you know, uh, predominantly in digital, but yep. um, you're obviously interacting with businesses and products post design or as they're sort of coming mm-hmm. into the real world you know, as a finished product and hitting the market. Yep. Yeah. What, what, what uh, What have you noticed? What tips can you give for people uh, around constructing a supply chain?
4: Yeah. Um, great question. And I think, so I did work, um, briefly at Nike. And so I, uh, within like product, f- physical product, mm-hmm. signing shoes. So I did get to see a little bit, um, I guess under the covers of like what, it, what it's like to, to work with uh, supply chain or manufacturers, especially in other countries. And, um, and then when I moved to San Francisco, um, the startup that I built, the design team within, we were working with a physical product. We were m- working with a um, a Bluetooth scale, a uh, food scale, mm-hmm. and we had to make we had to have that manufactured physically. And so we worked with different suppliers of different materials and talked to them about little, you know, LED lights and what the different colors, how how they worked and what they meant, and battery life, and et cetera, et cetera. So. I have worked a little bit within that world, um, but interestingly it's quite parallel to really um, working with um, digital, I guess, suppliers if you, if, if you will, um, people that are going to build the thing that you have in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially the, the, the key thing that I would say is just bring them all in really early. Bring people in to the table to sit with you and ideate. Because you don't know if that firmware guy knows about this new thing that just came out in his firmware wear world mm. that's going to change your life and going to make that product a little bit different. You don't know if some guy who's got some... Um, you know materials that he's been looking at and he knows they have some special properties are going to shift what you actually end up making at the end of the day and completely making the product a better thing. So I would say bring everyone into the process as early as possible and, and if you can, sit next to them. I think one of the biggest um, failures within the tech world but also in just like um, traditional manufacturing is that we often have... We often outsource and send all of the the making of things um, very far away from us and and where people are are required to just sort of take instructions and do the things by whatever sort of rules you've given them. And um, it's been proven that innovation works much better when you have the makers right there in the room um, ideating with you. So bring bring them in for sure. There's this... um, Sorry, I'm talking about. There's this really beautiful anecdote, which I think is based on a real story of a um, a manager in a um, uh, some sort of manufacturing company where they had assembly lines, and they were just they just were not producing enough product, whatever the thing was. And so, whoever this guy was, he decided to to tell everyone every day you're going to shift to a different position in this assembly line and you're going to do the work of that person in that job not just you you know screwing this little screw in that little bit you're you're going to move up the line you're going to attach this bit to that bit and then the next day you're going to move on to the next one until everyone had sat in everyone's chair and understood what everyone else along the assembly line needed to do and what what ended up happening is that the times um the the time and the production went up um, the time went down and the production went up because basically that person that um that normally just screwed the screw in that little hole, they um, or they now knew that the next person down the line needed to attach this thing in this particular way, and if they set it down this way, you could pick it up much quicker, or maybe you didn't even need to pick it up. And so there's this kind um, of understanding that if you know what other people need to do, or you know what other people are working with, or what their jobs are, that you'll just naturally work with them better, and you're going to be much more efficient as a single cohesive team. Um, and I think it's a really lovely way of explaining how when you when you need to get a designer and a developer and a QA and a product owner and a business person and everyone to do the, the things to make this thing a reality the more you can all sit next to each other and that's true obviously for manufacturing too the more you can sit together and solve those problems the quicker and more efficient you'll be and you'll make better product
0: Now, I don't know about you, but I sometimes dream of opening a bar or restaurant and being the bon vivant host while everyone else around me does the actual work. Uh, But after speaking to my next guest, I've come to realize it's a lot harder than it looks. Sven Armening is the CEO of the Speak Easy Group. They have eight venues across Australia, and Sven reveals just what it takes to put together a supply chain that has become a real growth engine for their business putting together a supply chain is a challenge for um, most businesses. Um, Probably less so businesses that follow a fairly established model. So hospitality, there are clearly suppliers to the industry. But in your case, uh, you've got some really bespoke elements to the experience. So uh, I, I, you mentioned earlier that you had to source some some product from uh, all around the world. Can you d- step us through that process for finding suppliers and manufacturing partners for your supply chain, and how long did that process take?
5: Oh, it's an ongoing, never-ending process, right? Um, I mean, a lot of the stuff in the alcohol side is relatively uh, kind of systematic and there are big suppliers to so provide you with things. Um, food is a bit more... Um, Diverse offering, if you like. Yeah. Um, what we tend to do now is uh, we look for, like on the alcohol side, we will choose very specific brands we want to work with and we approach them with a proposal. So, quite often, the way this works is brands come to us. Mm. Um, that's just a lot of noise, a lot of noise for us. So, instead of constantly getting run down by what other people's agendas are and other people's businesses want, that's them wanting to sell us stuff we try to cut that down as much as we can and we look for suppliers that have products that we, that we love or, and ideally also have a culture and and a, and a, and a, I suppose a brand that we, that we love and stand for something. And then we go to them with our proposal uh, and go, this is what we want to do. And then we try to make it collaborative as much as we can. So a transactional relationship with suppliers, um, Of course, it has to be to some degree transactional, but but not all of them should be. I think if if they're all transactional, then you're just a number. Um, Whereas if you build a deeper relationship and there's benefit on both sides, um, I think we both get more out of it. Um, But a really good example for us is in Mjolnir again, we have this hammer, right? And it stores hammer. It's actually, it's meant to be Mjolnir. It's designed you know, shaped after the Marvel stories. And it's made by Sam Bloomfield. I think working on, who worked on, a, I believe the Lord of the Rings movies and made weapons for them. And he's a great artist. And he made that in conjunction with a whiskey brand called Bell oh. And so they spent a lot of money on this, on this hammer. And for us, it's a, it's a, it's a great talking point. And many people come and take photos of it. They post with it. It's a decanter that we steal, that we pour whiskey from. Um, and when it got stolen in Melbourne, it was national news, you know. It, you know, it was covered on the evening news. It's a decanter They get stolen from a restaurant. They wrote about it in America. They wrote about it in the UK. Um, it was the, the police commissioner in Melbourne or the police department in Melbourne had to do a press conference to tell the press what they're doing to recover this decanter. You know, what I mean, it's ridiculous.
0: Um, you can't buy it, that PR. I mean,
5: that, that, that's are, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. But it would never have happened if we hadn't. You know, go on to a brand and said, you know, we want to do something unique. And they came back, so here's some crazy ideas. And and we just worked on stuff, right? Um, so I think, you know, for your product, if it's going to be great, I, I, what I try to do is we try to find the suppliers that we think are the best for us within the price point that we have, um, rather than sitting back and having everybody approach us. Because when people come to you, the people that come to you are the ones with resources, right? It's going to be more mainstream. It might be cheaper, may not be the same quality, though. And so by you going out and sourcing them all, um, I think you end up with, at least in our case, part of you end up with a, uh, a more authentic uh, product and also slightly more unique experiences. Um, we do, of course, you know, take proposals and, and people that come in as well. But but we try to, to minimize that down. And, and the vast majority of our deals and suppliers, you know, we look for the people you want to work with and approach them.
0: I think that must go to correct me if I'm wrong, the clear vision. Yes. At the start, right? So, if you uh, if you have that clear vision defined of uh, the product and the brand and the whole experience in your case, then it's less about suppliers trying to flog you product, yeah. Um, yeah. and it's more about well, hang on a minute, does it fit within our uh, vision. Uh, another quick digression. I think there's a risk with what you guys do to become to it, step over the the line of kitsch and become a theme restaurant, right? Yeah. And you have very successfully avoided that. Now, can you give us a, some insight into how you how, you, how you've done that? Because that must, I would imagine, that would be something that you'd be sort of talking about amongst yourselves when you're sort of executing this. Like, we don't want it to become so kitschy that it's it's like a theme restaurant, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and, you, and you bring it in the right side of that line, but it so could have gone the wrong side if it wasn't done ca- carefully. It was the hardest thing. So with Mjolnir,
5: that was the most difficult thing to do. Um, like We always refer to it as a Viking-inspired restaurant, not a Viking-themed restaurant. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, words are extremely powerful how you talk about something, how you frame something in words is insanely powerful. So even that for us, like that consistency, we train all our staff that we're not themed, we're inspired by. Um, and then again though, like if we were themed, we probably would have you know, gone for like, uh, not fine, not casual fine dining, more like really casual comfort food, massive plates. Um, we would have gone for huge tankards of beer. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of other stuff. We may have allowed ha- like horned helmets, you know, so we were, like, no horn helmets in venue. Like, ideally, people don't wear that unless they book it out for a function. Um, you know, we keep the photography very clean and focus on the on the casual fine dining piece. Um, the fit-out is very um, delicate whilst being... So Scandinavian, kind of, like, uh, delicate, and, and, and so it's not massive clunky tables and clunky chairs. So it was very easy to... It could easily become themed and, and, um, which there's a lot of success in that, but that's not really what we wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to more trade on, on a quality and a good experience, but it remains, uh, an ongoing challenge. Yeah. To, to avoid that. Yeah. Cause yeah. in people's mind, a lot of people that would come, uh, we had this enormous success with the video that Qantas did for us. And that pulled in a certain type of clientele that thought we were a themed restaurant. Mm. um, it was an amazing uh, thing that Qantas did for us, but but um, it it did bring in a certain type of clientele that was hard for us to satisfy because they were expecting, you know, arm wrestling competitions and fucking pouring beer on your head kind of vibe, which is not what we do. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, it's way yeah. more sophisticated. Um, and yeah. in a sense, it's, it's harder. So I think this is a, an important point to make for our listeners. Like what you guys have done there. It seems to me is that you've you've taken the harder decisions. You know, it would have been easier to go down that more of that themed restaurant. You know, but it's harder to work out what you say no to. These this is not what we stand for. These are the things that we don't do. Are uh, almost yeah. uh, more powerful, or uh, in terms of defining the end experience and what it actually is.
5: Hundred percent. You also, I mean, you have to. We try to think long term. So, I mean, another example we have on at O2V when we first opened it, that's a cocktail bar. Uh, it won you know, world's best new cocktail bar we opened and it won best cocktail bar in Australia several times and and um, I think in the first six months we opened we had a huge night we nearly doubled our trade on Friday and doubled our trade on Saturday I called our manager and I said what the hell happened on the weekend he's like oh, it was amazing it was just busy and so I had to go to the bottle shop like several times to buy more beer wow. and I was like what, why are we buying beer at the bottle shop I was like oh we're drinking all this Coronas and stuff and I'm like, you know, hang on. If we are selling beer in here, then we are competing with other venues that sell beer. That's now our competition. If we have become a venue, we can drink beer. So I said, like, if we do that, we don't have the fit out. We don't have, we don't hire models. We don't do, we don't have DJs. We don't I don't have the budget to compete with venues that are going to sell you beer. Um, and if the staff that work there weren't hired to sell beer, but beers are quick to sell. You make way more money. I it's just way more turnover on beer. A cocktail costs twice the money, but it takes five times or 10 times the time to produce. Yeah. So we then made a, a rule. We said any beer that sells more than a case a week is banned and it goes on a black book. So we basically banned all top, our top selling products was removed from the venue oh, because, they were, because they were off brand. Yeah. So, you know, like in business, you do not remove your number one selling products. That's like a hard rule, <laughs> yeah. you know, but the top selling problem was off brand. And by getting rid of that and focusing on what we really wanted to do, eventually our sales reached that level that we had with a beer and then went 50% beyond what we had with a beer. Um, and the venue has been there for, for, for 11 years. So is that kind of the idea of, of not taking the easy short term kind of quick fix yep. and trying to think what will survive 10 years time and, and, and that really relies on, on a quality product. People need to come back for quality. They go once for the novelty, they return for the quality. You
0: know I, mean? oh, I like that. That, that. That'll be in the trailer. <laughs> You're giving me gold, Sven. I, I, it's, it's just, I'm overwhelmed. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, that's a great line. With the proliferation of tech platforms such as Shopify, In theory, it's never been easier to create an e-commerce business, especially with the rise of China as the world's leading source of cheap manufacturing. But developing a killer product range is just the first step. Creating an international supply chain to bring the product to market can be a new level of hell that can break even the toughest entrepreneurs. One founder who's conquered this and lived to tell the tale – is Dr. Wei Xin Lai of Sleep Phones from Pennsylvania in the US. Now, if you can visualize a soft aerobics type headband with tiny speakers inside, that's what it is. Sleep Phones allow you to listen to music in bed via Bluetooth as you go to sleep. Regular listeners will remember Sleep Phones from earlier episodes in this series. And in today's show, I ask Dr. Lai and her husband, Jason Wolfe, to reveal just how they built their international supply chain and what tips they can share for others who are seeking to do something similar.
6: Right. Yeah. So, so do it yourself first. Uh, And then, and then the next thing that we did, once we codified it, uh, we took pictures, we wrote it all up uh, and, you know, and, uh, you know, I knew how much time it took me to make it. And so then I basically wrote out, okay, so this takes, this step might take you 20 minutes uh, for 20 pieces And so then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll pay you at a certain rate. Uh, and we hired some contractors and they, you know, would just take our materials and then just, you know, work on it at their homes in their own time, uh, sewing it together and then bring it back to us for the next steps and stuff like that. Um, and so we were, we just hired out some independent contractors. Um, we, and then they brought back the finished products and we were able to sell those, after, uh, you know, we did that for about a year, uh, and a half or so, um, people started dropping out. You know, one person got pregnant, didn't want to work anymore. Another one had, was going through some family issues, et cetera. So another one moved. So, uh, you know, that, that's kind of a hard HR thing to manage. Um, and so then we decided to, you don't
3: have HR when you don't have HR.
6: Right. Yeah. Um, and so then we, um, we happened to find a friend. You know, we talked about this company with some of our friends, and and our friend found a, a, another uh, couple who were um, manufacturing their stuff through a local company. And so, you know, it just it was just kind of a it was a coincidence. Serendipity. Yeah. Wow. We, we found a company that was uh, that had contract sewing, and so then we outsourced to the contract sewer who was about an hour away from us, and they were professionals. Um and then after working with them for about three years, we uh were selling so much at that point that we kind of outgrew that capacity and had to put together an international supply chain mm-hmm. um and, and really step up mm-hmm. our game, right? And so um at that point, um uh my cousin uh came into the picture. She um, had been working in supply chain in Taiwan, uh, which is where um, yeah, you know, I was born. And then uh, and so I hooked up with her and started talking, and we were able to um, find some suppliers from overseas uh, using family connections. Um, and so then we went to Asia met with the various factories and uh and started working with uh with some overseas suppliers
3: and and we had the opportunity then to shop around a bit but also just to be just obsessive about asking them to improve the process and improve the process and even like is nailing down that speaker design we went Mm -hmm. through a lot of prototypes and we finally you know because we do have an unusual form factor and it's remarkable for the, the quality of the sound that it does put out. Yeah, the, it's super thin,
6: case. right? And at the same time, it can't be compressible with all the fabric around it. So th- there's some special requirements. And, the, and that was
3: not easy, but I'm so happy with what we ended up with.
0: And and uh, thank you for sharing that. That's very, very interesting. Uh, and when it came to building that international supply chain, it was, it's a very interesting story there. The importance of family connections and so on. That's that. That's, uh, obviously, a um, uh, serendipitous uh, another serendipitous uh, element. But um, interacting with the manufacturers around the, the speaker technology and so on. Um, how much did they bring to the table in terms of innovation and design that that helped you get the product where it is today? Like, was there were, were you being prescriptive and saying we we need it like this X Y and Z, or was there a bit of two and to and fro and collaboration there that that was also important.
3: There was a bit, you know. Clearly, they have the basic expertise with you know the the, the processes, of the machines, and stuff, right? And and we knew enough to, to drive them toward what what we really felt we needed. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was a great great partnership in that regard.
0: Great, but essentially they created some a, a, a new des- speaker design for you. Yeah,
6: custom speakers. Right.
0: Yeah, great. And 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 so that supply chain that you just um, uh, explained uh, then that's the one that is still exists to this day is that right or
6: yes mm-hmm. right we, we've been lucky in that you know these partners have been very reliable uh to work with and you know can't say that we haven't had some quality issues every now and then but uh you know we've had to work through those and you know send things back and forth overseas and you're going to run into that um, but you have to you know in some ways um the, the more you communicate with your suppliers and, and, you know, really forge that relationship, we talk weekly, uh, every, every single week, uh, and not, not just, you know, when we need the next order. Uh, that, that really uh, cements the bond. And, and I think, uh, especially in Asia, uh, it's, it's, there, there's a lot more of that interpersonal relationship that's needed than just the straight transactional relationship.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, I, th- I think we felt empowered not to accept the first solution or the first design that they came to us with. Uh, I think that's very important.
0: You kept pushing until you got something that you were really, really happy with, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Great, great. So I think the message there for our listeners, um, there's so much to take out of that, but one of the key messages I'm, I'm getting from that is that the more um, prepared you are, the, the more uh, developed your vision is... Um, then the, the better result you'll probably get from taking it to a, an international supply, supplier or manufacturer, yeah?
6: Absolutely. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, you uh, oftentimes, you know, if you just tell them a rough vision, they'll have in their mind kind of more of an engineering perspective. Oh, I can make this process really easy this way. But that might not be exactly what you need. So you need to really communicate, you know, the end product uh, and the specifications, you know, have that really clearly laid out.
0: Clear vision, yep, and, and documentation, yeah.
6: Right, and, and also really a clear understanding of the process, because I think, uh, you know, had I not gone uh, on, you know, those Asia trips um, to see how they do things, I might not understand every single intricacy and where things might go wrong. And it's where things might go wrong uh, (laughs) that you need to understand as, as, you know, a mass production manufacturer.
3: And sometimes even pushing beyond that, I always think of the story of uh, Steve Jobs being very particular about what the inside of the computer looks like when when nobody's ever going to see it. You know, you have to to maybe not push for that level, but to always be pushing for one more level.
6: Yeah, I, I mean, this has uh some interesting engineering inside of it and you may not think of it's not just the speaker with a wire coming out there is more to it
3: (laughs) and and nobody
0: sees it but it still matters it it
6: really matters because that that it it determines the longevity
0: the longevity right okay so that goes to um product uh quality control um and um, i've got a couple of questions here um one of them if you don't want to answer this that that's fine but um I'm just curious, like, what's your, your unit, your volume turnover? Like, how many units are you, are you guys selling these days? Are, are you able to give us some indication of that?
6: Well, we've sold over a million. Uh, I think we're, uh, you know, on our way to two million at this point.
0: Wow. Okay. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Quite a Gee, few. that is, yeah, that's, that's some, some big numbers there. Oh, wow. Congratulations. That's, that's awesome. Now, if you're a tech startup or a purely online business – Your technology stack is a really big part of your effective supply chain. Ross Gales is Director of Design and Strategy at Sydney Agency Pollen. Ross is one of our two product design experts for this series, and he has designed product solutions for some of the biggest brands in Australia, including Gumtree, which is owned by global giant eBay. I asked Ross to share some of the top tech traps that can undo the best laid plans of entrepreneurs and startups.
1: Yeah, so look, technology and choices are super important, particularly when you're kicking off a new app and a new product. Um, you want to make sure you're building on good foundations. And one of the key recommendations I've got is, is flexibility is key. Yeah, lots of people come to us and they they invest in either offshoring their product because it's cheaper, or they they choose a um, a pre-existing off-the-shelf solution. Um, just to help get their business into market. And look, that can, be, that can be right for some people. Sometimes you do just want to get things out there cheap and fast to see if there's an appetite. And I, I advocate for that in some instances. I caveat this by saying every every business is different. Yep. Um, but what I find is if, if you're doing it properly and building from first principles, flexibility is the key. You want something that's going to grow with you as a business. All too often we get companies that have um, – offshored or gone with an off-the-shelf solution and and it's no longer flexible to their needs. It can't be customised or the code base is unstable Mm. um, and it's really hard for us to then take that product and continue to iterate on it to make it better without costly redevelopment or entire um, ripping up key components of the infrastructure and putting new things on. That is very, very, very costly. Yeah. Very costly. So so the, the key is um, make the right decisions early on. Build on good foundations. Ideally, big advocate of where you can in-housing your own developer. At, at least get somebody on your team who understands the infrastructure and the technology. It's the foundation of your business. So it's critical that somebody has that IP with you. So we we help some of our clients, particularly smaller startup clients that come to us with with no understanding of the technological side of the business that they're trying to build. We can help act somewhat as a CTO as a service so we can we can provide that
7: that's nerdy yeah, that CTO
1: is, as a service yeah look so that, that is a bit bit nerdy but it's, it's a, a, a CTO as the chief technical officer yep um, and as a service just means that we can they can outsource that capability to us so we can advise them on the right technology solutions. We can help to design and architect that infrastructure. We can get them set up with the tools and the software that they need. Um, And we can even help to hire their own internal development team um, just to get them started and get them off on the right foot. And that can be really critical for a small organisation to do that and then to onboard um, seamlessly into their Mm organisation the right person who's the right fit for the role um, with the right skills and building on the right technology foundations.
0: In episode four, you might recall, we spoke to a healthcare entrepreneur whose business has really taken off like a rocket here in Australia. Her company just received the Deloitte Technology Fast 50 Australia Rising Star Award for an astonishing 21,540% jump in annual growth. So It's really quite remarkable. Jessica Seppel is her name, and she's a health and wellness expert, and she's the founder of JS Health. Jessica is a qualified nutritionist who's built really a massive online community, which now encompasses more than 400,000 people across Instagram, Facebook, and email. And in 2018, she launched a vitamin range, which has absolutely exploded. I asked her to share the story of how she built out her supply chain. And in my view, this is essential listening for anyone, particularly in the fast-moving consumable space what what about that uh, the the distribution process so you you know the manufacturer's you know help you with the the formulation and and the testing and so on you get it to that point it gets approved it then gets um, you know manufactured bottled and, and labeled and all the rest yeah of it, right? so it
7: gets sorry yeah so it gets put, so the formulation gets manufactured then it arrives at our sorry it gets the formulation gets put together in the lab yep. then it arrives at our manufacturers and they bottle label and then it's ready to be sold online on retail
0: yep and so do you have your own kind of warehouse or you know and distribution center or is it coming straight from have you partnered with a manufacturer for that as well yes
7: no we've partnered
0: with a distributor Fantastic. Okay, great.
7: Yes. So, um, our manufacturer is one thing and our distributor is another. So, the product will go from our manufacturers to the distributor and ready, then right. ready for... Right. And so, that's a logistics... That, is that
0: a logistics company doing the, the distribution yes. for you? Got it. Yes. Okay. So, that's, yeah. that's what I mean. That's something that our listeners will find very interesting. Like, you know, so you've, you've found one partner there for the manufacturer and then you have to go yes. out and find another partner yeah. for logistics, yeah?
7: Yes, exactly.
0: Um, um, and so... Tell me about the logistics. Was that easy to put together, or did you did you talk to two or three different providers before you? So online? funny,
7: yeah. That was like that. Sometimes who you know. So that was my husband's best friend, who had just started a health distributing health distribution company. I'm happy to tell tell you guys the name Epic. He's amazing, Ricky. We met him on a plane. We were discussing it funnily enough, going to the same destination. Um, He was like, I'm about to start this health distribution company. And I was probably um, right there deep in the middle of um, manufacturing my first vitamin. And he he said, well, let's chat. Let's meet for a coffee when we get back. And yeah, he's been our distributor for three years now.
0: Wow. It sounds like there's a few serendipitous moments in your yes. journey uh, just sort of people totally. that you knew that just happened to be sort of uh, you know doing the right thing at the right time um, well at
7: one stage we were definitely going to be selling or sorry sending out the vitamins from the back of our house because up until now we were working in the back of my house yep. um up until six months ago and we were happy we were going to be the ones sending <laughs> the vitamins to people's homes you know because we didn't know how big the company would get
0: well, that's the thing. I mean, I think that's a lot of small businesses um, start that way. You know, um, they, uh, it's in the garage or in the back room and they're doing it all manual and then they, they often flame out because they can't take that next yeah. step into... I have to
7: say, if I could give anyone else out there who's starting their own company or selling their own products some advice, I would say don't try to save the money to do it yourself because you will just lead to burnout and overwhelm because you just want to focus on the quality of the product and making sure that 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 you focus on your strengths. My strengths are always product development, um, the community, nourishing the community, making sure that the formulations were the best of the best um, and working with my manufacturers and, and the team of health experts, rather than having to put my time and effort into how am I going to get this vitamin to the customer? I think you really have to pick and choose where you want to put your time and effort. And ultimately, if you can't do it all, you have to try and lean on people. And having a distributor, just my husband in the beginning was like, you know, we have to, it's it, it obviously is going to cost us to have a distributor, but I kept saying to him, no, it will cost us more in the long run if we are going to overwhelm ourselves We're trying to get this product out into the universe.
0: And now another word from our sponsor.
2: Hi, it's Ben again from WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency. I mentioned earlier in the show how we've developed a buy now, pay later digital marketing solution for small businesses. If you want to grow but cash flow is holding you back, WebBuzz offers you a way to invest in marketing with no interest and nothing to pay for up to three months. It's a simple five step process, and here's how it works number one, book a video meeting with our team, two, choose a digital marketing package, three, apply online for funding, four, get approved, five, Start your campaign with $0 to pay up front. You can use it for lead generation, content, branding, SEO or social media campaigns. Our buy now, pay later digital marketing is just the thing you need to get sales flowing again. So get that life is good feeling back in your business. Go to webbuzz.com.au slash bnpl. That's webbuzz.com.au slash bnpl and download a free info pack to learn more.
0: So the problem we set out to solve in this episode was sourcing and manufacturing, how to build out a product supply chain for your new startup. Our product design experts Carrie Peters from Us2 and Ross from Pollen revealed some really valuable insights and common pitfalls for building out a supply chain or technology stack. And we've also heard some fascinating real-life stories. From our entrepreneur guests, Sven at the Speakeasy Group, Wei Xin at Sleep Phones, and of course, Jessica at JS Health. I hope their wisdom and insights have given you ideas to crack the code to growth in your own venture. For me, however, there are three important takeouts from this episode. Number one, start with your family network. Both Jess and Wei Xin leveraged off existing connections first before they went out looking to build their supply chain. I really think that in this case it helped them avoid a lot of false starts and dead ends that can often arise when doing business in foreign markets and with suppliers that you you don't know. Number two, communicate with your suppliers clearly and often. Talk weekly. Don't accept the first solution or design that they offer you, You need to articulate your end product vision clearly and be really quite hardcore about your technical specifications. This will really pay dividends with quality control later on. And number three, make the relationship with your suppliers collaborative wherever possible. The importance of collaboration was a running theme in the experience of each of the entrepreneur guests on today's show. But to make that work best, you'll need to make an effort to understand every step in the whole production process. As we heard at the top of the show in the Hershey story, supply chains can quickly unravel if too many components change at once. So proceed with caution if you're looking to change suppliers or re-engineer the systems behind your production or fulfillment. Within the whole product development cycle, building out a supply chain can be one of the most arduous tasks that you will face as an entrepreneur. But it's crucial you get this right. I loved what Sven said about his customers. They come once for the novelty, but they return for the quality. So suppliers and the systems that drive your production and distribution are actually a key growth engine of any business. It doesn't matter how good your product or service idea is, if the way it's delivered is poor or inconsistent, then repeat sales and referrals will dry up and you won't get to scale. It's a sobering thought, but perhaps in the end, you're only ever as good as the supply chain you build. We're coming to the end, but before we go, it's time for our regular segment, Nerd Under Pressure, where a guest has to share one killer hack or tip they recommend for you, our listeners. Let's find out who our nerd under pressure is today. Uh, so Jess Seppel from JS Health, um, we now come to another recurring segment here at Nerds of Business called... Nerd Under Pressure. Mm, nerd Under Pressure. So uh, Jess, you are the the healthcare vitamin nerd. Um, you've obviously mm. built a thriving business for yourself in this area. Um can you give one killer hack or tip to our listeners around um, manufacturing, sourcing, building out a supply chain? I'll, I'll give you five seconds thinking time. Okay, over to you.
7: Okay, well, I think it's all about, you know, a good team, mm-hmm. a good team in place to help run the business properly. And as entrepreneurs we try to do it all about do it all ourselves. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately that normally leads to burnout, overwhelm and a little bit of just confusion. I think it's really important to delegate and hand over where you can and remember what your strengths are. So if your strengths are product development, focus on that and hand over the rest. So for me personally, my strength is product development. And from thereafter, I really do hand it over to the team. And it's, it's very hard as an entrepreneur to hand over the trust to someone else. But you just need to, for the long-term success of a company, that's definitely my advice. And remembering that it's the team a, team, a huge team in the end, that's going to create a successful company. And you cannot possibly be the entire team. And everyone, you know, my husband always says, find people who are smarter than you and lean on them for their expertise and don't be afraid to do so. I think a lot of us, you know, business owners and entrepreneurs try and do it all. And it really does lead to the sense of complete overwhelm. And for so many people I've met um, who started their own business, it leads you to sometimes not wanting to do to complete the business, like wanting to actually quit altogether because you're just trying to do too much. So I think definitely trying to find a brilliant team, that can um, put everything into place in a professional
0: way. So thanks for listening to episode 18 of Nerds of Business. If you've enjoyed it, please leave a review on Apple, Spotify, Google or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps us climb up the ranks and become more visible to other people just like you. Remember, we want to help as many entrepreneurs and businesses as we can. If you've got a question or some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can engage with us at webbuzz.com.au forward slash nerds. That's webbuzz.com.au forward slash nerds. So feel free to reach out and say hello. I want to thank all our guests and the team at WebBuzz for helping me put this show together. We'll be back in two weeks with our next episode, which is business models, choosing the right pricing and distribution for your product. Until then, I'm your host, Darren Moffat. And I look forward to nerding out with you next time. Bye for now.